If you enjoy this episode of Obscure Obsessions, please remember to rate us, review us, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. And now, Mini Obsessions. Because I wasn't actively looking for IP Man. I just saw it was recommended. Yeah. So I threw it on my list. And then I started watching them. And what's really interesting is that the first one is like a war epic. Yeah. The second movie is Rocky 3. And then the third movie features Mike Tyson as the villain. Wow. Yeah. See, I don't know anything really. Are these Amer- These are these in English? No, it's in uh, Cantonese. So what does Mike Tyson do? He, he, speaks speaks in, in, he barely he speaks, speaks in English, like, and then he does speak in Cantonese. And they dub over him. I love that. Yeah, I was watching something, and they did an American dub on it. But they actually dubbed over... Oh, it was with Russ Tamblin is in this film. Uh-huh. And they dubbed over his voice with an American actor, even though Russ, Russ Tamblin, Tamblin is, is American. American. So it's one of those weird things. Strange. There's this hilarious scene, though, in the third IP Man, which features Mike Tyson, and he is fighting Donnie Yen because he wants to prove that he's better than Donnie Yen. Okay. And they're fighting in a room full of huge glass windows that looks down onto a lower level. And Mike Tyson starts rapidly punching at Donnie Yen, but because he's blocking, all he does is just keep hitting glass windows. But it's... Dude, you hit one window. Wouldn't you just try to stop hitting? <laughs> I like Because he just hits for two straight minutes, just windows. And this is IP Man 3? That's IP Man Why 3. Why is it called IP Man? Is that That's his something? name. So IP? I think it's IP. Oh, it is IP. Yeah. Okay. I thought but... it was an intellectual property man. <laughs> I thought it was some... Hey, that was everyone likes to Marvel Comics. I thought it was going to be... Uh... Hi, my name is IP Man TM. TM. Okay, <laughs> so let's do some more recommendations. Why not? Sure. So I think we both have thrillers. Yeah, not the Michael Jackson. Not Michael Jackson. I don't know. I don't know what thriller you're choosing. You don't know sure. what thriller I'm choosing, but we just sort of mentioned it. Yeah, and we. I. I'm glad that we kind of discussed more so the genre that we wanted to talk about beforehand yeah. because I feel that. There might be good overlap depending on the type of... But this is another case where you were thinking of one, I was thinking of one... And just happened to And we just happened on. to say, oh yeah. It's, uh, that, that's because we watch way too much Between the Lions and uh, what was the other one? Uh, Cyber Chase. Cyber Chase. Yeah. Did you... I know you're probably not getting into Mandalorian yet, but... I heard he does make an appearance. Christopher Mr. Lloyd Christopher does Lloyd. make an appearance in the... and I, I Just as a one episode... Well, it's sort of interesting is I think he's one of the few actors that we'll have to ask Anthony who is both Star Trek and Star Wars. Ah, yes. Because right. he's was wasn't he Krug? Commander Krug I think so, in yeah. Star Trek Three. He's the main bad guy. It's been a long time since I've watched Star Trek. Is that Trek what you're recommending? Star Trek Three? It is not, because that one isn't thrilling from my memory. You should go first, right? Yeah, I'll go first. Why Cause, not? Yeah, because I did yeah. So I would like to recommend a movie that I feel gets often swept under the rug when you hear this particular director's name. Okay. Christopher Nolan, not an obscure director. (laughs) No. In fact, he's everyone's favorite filmmaker who makes one movie every four years. (laughs) In fact, he's the opposite of obscure. But I'm trying to think of what... Yeah, take a guess. Is it with Al Pacino? It is indeed with Al Pacino. Is it Memento? No. The one before it? Uh, After it. Is it called Following? No, that one's before. Okay. Is the, pre- no, the Prestige? Uh, I don't know. It's something that you have. 
uh, Chafing? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> a film by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Something that I have. And it makes you have a hard time trying to doze off in the early oh, hours. Oh, insomnia. Of... <laughs> That's right. Okay. Okay. I, I don't even think about that one. I don't think I even exactly. know anything about that one. And what I think is really interesting is the three main build actors are Al Pacino, okay. Hilary Swank, and Robin Williams. Really? You know, I'm thinking about it. I don't know that I've ever seen this movie. And I'm not sure I had seen it fully until four nights ago. Okay. What I think is really interesting is this is actually a remake of a Swedish film from 1996 or 1997 hmm. starring Bootstraps Bill as the Al Pacino character. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Exactly. The movie is about two Los Angeles police detectives who are brought to a town called Nightmute in Alaska to begin investigating the murder of a young teenage girl. And what's interesting about this town is it's during the time of year in Alaska where the sun never sets. So this is sort of a desolate, isolated place. But it's surrounded in daylight 24 hours of the day. There's no vampires in this movie, right? No, you're thinking of the opposite one, which is 30 days of night. Okay, right, right, right. In which that that's where the sun sets. Oh, and so is it, rise. this is all daylight it's all, all the daylight time. all the gotcha, time. Gotcha, gotcha. Al Pacino is kind of the main detective investigating this murder. Hillary Swank is his mentee mentor because she's a local of Night Mute, so she's helping him around the island. And it turns out that Al Pacino has made some questionable choices as a cop. And it seems that maybe those questionable choices have led to even worse decisions that he's made outside of police hours. And it might be catching up with him. And this case is starting to really rack his brain, not only because he can't figure out exactly what this killer wants, what this killer is trying to do, but he also is having a difficult time sleeping because no matter how hard he tries to put stuff against the windows, he tries to tape black paper against the windows and not let any single sunlight in, mm -hmm. he just can't fall asleep. So he's going longer and longer without sleeping. Oh. He's starting to hallucinate. He's starting to mix up his facts. He's He thinks that he's hearing things on the phone, but actually he's not. Or is he? Because the killer is also actually toying with him. But we're not sure at different points how much is his hallucination, how much is actually happening in this town because he's so sleep deprived. So it's a, uh, like a game of cat and mouse a little bit. Where... Our protagonist, A, we already know that he's made some questionable decisions and choices, so we're not sure about his morality mm -hmm. as a cop, but we're also not sure how much is actually happening to him because of this sleep deprivation that's going on. So he so, might be perceiving things that are happening that are not actually happening. Or are they? Or are they? And, what is, what's who, really, and Hil Hillary Swank is his mentee, you said. Right. She's a local of this town, Got you. and she looks up to him because he had a really checkered history in his early days because he made all these great arrests. He's not from Alaska. No, he's an L.A. cop. Yeah, I can't imagine Al Pacino no. being from Alaska. And she looks up to him and she really respects him as a cop. But as the movie starts to go on and facts start to bubble to the surface, you realize, well, that was then 
And what's happened since then has not been so stellar. And there's been a lot of really shady dealings that he's been involved in. Interesting. And has led towards more of a stereotypical corrupt cop. And one of the things that I think is really fascinating about this is this is the only Nolan movie that he is not responsible for co-writing or writing at all. Hmm. It was a movie that was written by, I believe the screenwriter's name is Hilary Seitz, I want to say. Not Hilary Duff. No, Hilary Seitz. And then it was the Swedish um, writers who wrote the original. The Swedish nanny Helga? <laughs> oh, Helga. Let's see how I didn't keep her around for the cooking. <laughs> I don't want to see my dad on the job. Come back about, uh, what What do you say, girls? Five or six minutes? minutes. So now who is Robin Williams playing? It's revealed in the trailer when you watch Mm -hmm. it, which is Robin Williams is the killer. Yeah, I would imagine. And what's really interesting about the three actors that they got in this movie is particularly Robin Williams is playing against type. I'm trying to see when was this? Was this before or after uh, Good Day? Not Good Day. uh, What was that movie with um, Loki and Bartleby? Goodwill Hunting. This was after. This was after, okay. Because this was 2002. Mm -hmm. The original Swedish film was 1997. But Robin Williams is really unsettling in this movie. Oh my God, two of the producers of this produced the Golden Girls. Paul Junger Witt and Tony Thomas were the two producers of the (laughs) Golden Girls. So he is, yeah, because he he was underrated as a dramatic actor. This definitely is following his great performance in Goodwill Hunting, where he was getting a chance to show some more dramatic work. Mm. I think that he is really good in this, even though there are some points in which he's giving a portrayal where he's meek and timid and everything is, that is happening is solely because of circumstance. He doesn't actually want to kill people, but it's just happening. And then at other times, he's also beaten the snot out of Al Pacino and looks like a pretty successful uh, aimsman with a rifle. So this isn't a, isn't a mystery in the sense of you don't know who's doing it. It's for more of first, like, how is he going to find it? Yeah, and for the first half, we don't even hear Robin Williams, we don't see Robin Williams. But at, at the certain point, then it becomes much like the scene in Heat where at a certain point Pacino and De Niro have that scene at the diner. Yeah. And they both know that, well, one is clearly bad, one is clearly good, but they kind of go their separate ways. Or like in Die Hard 3, when you don't see Jeremy Irons for a huge chunk of it, and after he blows up the subway, (laughs) and he takes over the... They bought it. (laughs) Hook, line, and sinker. sinker. The other thing I have to give praise to is... Pacino is really good, and I think that his performance for a majority of it is really understated. In he's not having explosive Michael Corleone screaming matches. Or what, what was he in? Uh, or in Scent of a Woman? There we go. Hoo ah, hoo You don't get any of that. There's one single time I think he does a kind of almost Al Pacino playing Al Pacino moment, but that's maybe when he's like day four or five. Is there a line in this where Pacino says to Robin Williams, you're about as mysterious to me as a toilet is to a plumber? That sounds familiar. Because I feel like that's a line I know from, I think that's the only thing I know about this movie. I think that, I think that is true. (laughs) There's a really fantastic scene where they finally come face to face on a ferry. And that's really, really great scene. 
because you can kind of understand, I don't say sympathize with Robin Williams, but you can kind of understand what happened Mm -hmm. from his perspective. And there's another really great chase scene that happens where Robin Williams is running from Al Pacino over this floating river of giant logs that are being sent down river to create a dam. An old man fashioning a log. kayak out of a log. (laughs) And they're running over these logs. And at a certain point, Pacino slips in, but he can't get up for air because Mm. these logs are rushing past him. And if he tries to come up too fast the logs may crash into each other and kill him. Now tell me, where does this sort of fit within the Christopher Nolan milieu? Because the last Christopher Nolan you and I watched, at least together, was... Uh, Big old stinker. Tenant. Yeah. Which is one of the great... Well, this is the other movies. thing that's really fascinating about it. It doesn't feel like a typical Christopher Nolan movie. Mm. I'm not exactly sure, and I, I haven't done enough reading about why he directed this or if he was just simply a director for hire. It's not that it's done poorly and the movie still looks beautiful, but it just doesn't feel like a Christopher Nolan movie in the way that we now as a society use. Cause this Christopher is definitely Nolan. before Batman begins. This is two or three years before Batman begins. Yeah. I would say it's middle tier on the upper side because there's a lot of really great scenes, but it also feels objectively very different then Memento feels more like a Christopher Nolan movie. Inception mm-hmm. feels like a Christopher Nolan movie. This just feels like a interesting crime thriller that happens to be directed by Christopher Nolan. Interesting. Well, I'll have to check because this is actually our second time we've recommended a uh, Al Pacino movie because yeah. way back in season one. Oh, that's right. I recommended uh, Scarecrow. Scarecrow. So that's a, that's a good one. Now I'm going to recommend, and here's what's really disturbing me, is that my movie involves a guy who is sleep deprived, who thinks he's witnessing things and isn't sure of it, and also is set in a kind of far off, relatively, what is happening? very disturbing. If you watch Laverne and Shirley too much as a child, <laughs> you start to have ESP. So I'm going to recommend a movie. I've recommended two British films. So today, I'm going to recommend an Australian film. Oh. And you know that I'm a huge fan of Australian cinema. Right. And I've actually been on a little bit of a, of a resurgence kick. kick. So the movie I'm going to recommend to you today is called Road Games. Oh. And it's is one, this the one with Jamie Lee Curtis? This is a great way, if you're interested in getting into Australian films, apart from the Mad Max ones, which I think... People just automatically assume Australia. But this one is a great way if you're sort of an arrogant American who doesn't want to watch movies without American people in it. Mm -hmm. Because even though it's Australian film produced, set in Australia, it stars two American actors. Stacey Keach, who is probably best known for being the villain in two Cheech and Chong movies. He's also a Shakespearean actor, which is a little odd. And Academy Award Award winner, winner. Jamie Lee Curtis, who part is much smaller than one would assume but more uh relevant to this podcast road games which is supposed to be one word on my blu-ray and on sometimes it seems to be two words but no it's one word Mm. is directed by richard franklin ah who we've talked about particularly in our 
Psycho 3 episode. Mm-hmm. And when we talked about Psycho 2, because Richard Franklin directed Psycho 2, and he got that job based upon his directing of road games. Oh. And Richard Franklin was an Australian director, and he was a literal student of Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. He later befriended Hitchcock and was highly influenced by Hitchcock. And road games is kind of Richard Franklin's take on Rear Window. Now, the original Rear Window was with James Stewart, and the basics of that story, it's down to its finest powder. James Stewart looks out a window of his apartment, and he thinks he sees a murder. That's the basics of it. That's the basics of road games, except in road games... It's in a car, right? Stacey Keach is a truck driver. He looks out his window, and he thinks he sees a murder. And the plot of road games, Stacey Keach, he's driving a truckload of meat from... I don't know. I'm not so up on it. From somewhere in Australia, in the middle of Australia, across a desolate highway in the outback to Perth. And along the way, he encounters what he thinks is a serial killer on this lonely, no one around area in the outback where this killer is murdering hitchhikers along the highway. Hmm. Very simple story. And Stacy Keach isn't exactly sure that he's seeing this happening. He's seeing this green van, and he is sort of piecing together what he thinks might be happening. He pulls over, he sees the green van parked, he sees a guy come out with a shovel and a cooler, and he's digging, and you're supposed to think, huh, that's weird. And he is not sleeping because he has a deadline. Mm -hmm. So as he goes along the trip, he gets more and more paranoid about what he thinks he's seeing or what he thinks is happening. At the very beginning of the movie, he's going to go into a uh, motel and he sees this green van pull up. He sees a hitchhiker and he sees this sort of shadowy figure of the driver. And the guy takes the last room. So Stacey Keach sleeps in his car. Early the next morning, his dog is actually a dingo, gets out of the car, the truck, and goes starts sniffing around the garbage. And Stacy Keach looks out the window. He sees the dog nosing around and thinking, huh, that's weird. And he looks up in the window and he sees that creepy guy peering down at the garbage, making sure that the garbage is picked up. Oh. And then the girl is not there anymore we the audience have seen stacy keach hasn't seen this hitchhiker in a way actually somewhat similar to the scene in psycho 3 where creepo is with the guitar except in yeah except in this one it's the hitchhiker she's naked on the bed and you see the guy's uh, driving gloves he pulls out a guitar string and he uses the guitar string to choke her to death but you don't really see a lot Mm-hmm. One of the things that this movie, when it was originally released in Australia, it didn't do very well because audiences were expecting a slasher movie. And there's really no violence at all. You don't really see him strangle her. It's sort of implied. You see it go over her neck. You see her eyes react. Mm-hmm. And you fill in the blanks, which is the kind of horror movie I like. I don't want to see women getting or anyone getting chopped up in pieces. But it's like in that Hitchcockian style of where you have to fill in the blank. And along the way, Stacey Keach meets Jamie Lee Curtis, who's an heir, who's an American heiress. It's never really explained why she's American, why she's in the middle of the desert. But when it originally premiered, people thought, well, wait a minute. Jamie Lee Curtis, horror movie, ah. slasher movie. We're going to see Where, people being killed along the, the highway. Was this post-Halloween? Oh, it had to have been. When was Halloween? 1978. Oh, yeah, this was 1981. So she had already done minimally 
two Halloween movies. I think she had already done Prom Night. So she was already, you know, in a sense, a slasher scream queen. And, and apparently there was a lot of controversy in Australia because they wanted Australian actors cast. But the people who funded the movie wanted it to be able to be played overseas. So th- that means you have to have an American. And I guess the actors' equity in Sydney approved a bit, but the actors' equity in some other city didn't. So there was a big controversy about the movie back hmm. And my favorite scene, though, in this movie, it's when Stacey Keach is really crazed chasing after this car, following this car all night long. And he's sort of sweaty. He's wide-eyed. He's really nuts. And a kangaroo <laughs> jumps out in front of the car, the truck. Oh, the kangaroo uses a jump scare? Kangaroo, yeah, it's kind of a jump scare. And Stacey Keach, whoa! He, he <laughs> hits the brake, and he stops. And by this point... Well, I won't tell you. Okay. Something has happened to Jamie Lee Curtis. And he hears a banging sound coming from his the cargo of his truck, which has these big slabs of meat dangling on chains that he's supposed... There's something about a meat strike going on. There's lots of little fun touches about it. And part of what's fueling his anxiety is he's hearing reports on the radio of missing women, serial killer on the loose. So it's sort of been put into his mind that... There's some, something is up there. and maybe these things that he's seeing aren't, but maybe there is something going on. He hears this banging sound. So he gets out of the truck, out of the cab. He goes to the back of the truck and the doors are flapping open. Now he says, wait a minute. I closed those. I locked it. And he thinks, well, maybe I didn't. He starts to second guess. So he goes into the truck part and it's all these rows of big slabs of pork hanging on chains. Mm-hmm. And he goes through, he's looking to see what was making that sound. Was it just the car? Was it just the door? And he sees in the far back, closer to where he was sitting, two slabs of meat dangling on chains. And he touches them, and they're a little bit moist. And he touches the other ones, and all the other slabs are frozen. And so, in sort of, I think it's in a voiceover, you hear his internal thought of him sort of debating with himself of, Oh no, it must have just been because it's closer to the heat of the cab or right. all this. And then he starts to count and he realizes that there's two extra extra that weren't there before. And he thinks, well, well, maybe they just gave me two bonus or maybe they miscounted. And that's the kind of situation that the movie is more interested in than, than jumping out and scaring you. Mm-hmm. It's about giving you this really unnerving. unnerving feeling. And of course, at a certain point, like in any Hitchcock, he gets accused of now they sort of suspect him of being a, of being mm-hmm. a murderer. And there's a great, one of the best parts of any Australian film is they're really good at chase sequences. They do car chases better than anyone. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. And this is a great movie to check out. If you're interested in, in, in seeing an Australian film, that's not in a way. Yeah. It, it's sort of like those Mad Maxes where you see a lot of the outback, but this is obviously set in a re- in a reality. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great, and as I was telling you last week, I was on a, on a bit of a, um, a Hitchcock kick, right? which then led me into road games, which then led me into more Australian films. I watched a great Australian film about a boarding school in Sydney. Wonderful movie. <laughs> I just love, uh, outside of America... I would say probably Australia or maybe, I guess, if you put aside Japan, Australian films. And this is a great one to check out. If you're looking for an intelligent and unnerving thriller yeah, that's not never very violent, and I think it's PG. 
even by oh, this even is, by the 80s standards. yeah even by yeah. 80s standards it's not very it's not violent at all but it's very creepy and very unsettling and it's a great road movie mm-hmm. uh, is it a prolonged type of movie or is it immediately start it starts he's on the road the entire time pre- the, the credits you see him getting loaded up with the meat uh-huh. and it's this trip across a abandoned highway in the Australian outback and it's a great place to start if you're interested in uh, or if you're interested in seeing a Jamie Lee Curtis movie where she is not being chased around by a guy in a mask where she is just interacting with the local wallabies and and, and kangaroos. She's actually just there to hang around with it's the kangaroos. It's the scariest movie involving a kangaroo. Outside I, of Kangaroo Jack. Outside of Kangaroo Jack. Mini Obsessions is directed and produced by Taylor and Nick Sicario and is a co-production with Tan Productions. Special thanks to Anchor for podcast distribution and to Twin Musicom and Walpurnia Music for providing the score. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for episode details, previews, and more. And check out our blog at obscureobsessionsblog.blogspot.com for movie recommendations, lists, reviews, and articles. We thank you for your continued support. Oh,